You're listening to Richard Ellis Talks with Richard Ellis. If you're looking for some encouragement, words of hope, and maybe a laugh or two, that's exactly what Richard wants to share with you today. We know life can get pretty busy and complicated, so we're truly grateful you've chosen to take a break and listen to the program. Now, if you're not able to hang out with us for the entire program, you can always pick it back up at our website, richardellistalks.com. In fact, you can find all of Richard's talks right there waiting just for you, richardellistalks.com. So, with today's talk, here's Richard Ellis. The title of today's message is Jesus. You're actually not going to believe this, but let me read you a little uh, piece from an article I read. There were those who were taught early on, after Christ came, died, buried, raised from the dead, those who teach that the name Jesus means Hail Zeus usually start with the name of God, Yah. From that name of God, they take the Messiah's name to be Yahshua, which they say means Yah is salvation. They contend that that is the name used by the apostles and by the Messiah himself. However, after the apostles were dead and gone, the Roman church took over Christianity in order to make their brand of religion more palatable to the pagans. So this is what the claim was. To make their religion more palatable to the pagans, the Roman leaders changed the name of the Messiah into a Greek slash Latin hybrid, Iosus, which supposedly means Hail Zeus. Since Zeus or Jupiter was the chief god in the Greco-Roman pantheon, the pagans had little trouble accepting this new demigod. By changing the Savior's name, Christianity had been effectively stripped of its Hebrew roots and the meddling with paganism was a success. The Greeks' savior could still be Zeus. In time, the word Jesus was further corrupted into Jesus in English. So that's the claim. He goes on to say, as proof for their conspiracy theory that Jesus means hail Zeus, advocates point to the fact that the second syllable of Jesus, sus, sounds similar to the name of the chief Greek god, Zeus, especially when Jesus is pronounced in Spanish. It becomes evident that people are actually saying, hey, Zeus. Added to these proofs is the fact that ancient scriptures of Zeus show him with a beard just like modern day pictures of Jesus. So if you think you can't get off track fast, hey, Zeus is not about Zeus. It's about Jesus. Now, what does the word Jesus mean? If you look at just simply, all of our names mean something usually. Some people have names they've never heard, so we don't know what they mean yet. They just mean they're your name. But simply put, the name Jesus means the Lord saves or the Lord is salvation. So whether you spell it Jesus or Jesu or Joshua or Yeshua, the meaning stays the same. So simply, Jesus was given that name, and it is a name above every name, but it simply means the Lord saves or the Lord is salvation. Now, I'd like to start in Matthew chapter 1, and then we're going to jump left and move right, but today we're going to start in Matthew chapter 1 and deal with a little bit of this passage and where the name is significant. Matthew chapter 1, and let's go down to verse 18. So this includes the story of his birth. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother, Mary, was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit, which means she was a virgin. They had not been together, had not slept together. It's a one-time occurrence in all of history, but here it is. 
Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, so no sonogram needed. I'll tell you, you're going to have a boy. She'll bring forth a son, and you don't have to pick a name. I've already got a name. It's a boy, and his name is what? Jesus. Why Jesus? Look at what the angel says to him. For he will save his people from their sins. So built into the name of Jesus is what? Salvation. Salvation from what? From sins. Now go to Ezekiel. Go hard left. Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 25. He says, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people. I will be your God. I will deliver you from all all your uncleannesses, I will call the grain and multiply it and bring no famine upon you. So this is God speaking to his people, but these principles apply. Now, where is a stony heart created from? Sin creates hardness of heart. So the world doesn't want to talk about sin. You know, we have these diseases. Now it's funny. Now all the problems that people have are diseases. There's no more sin. Now you have a disease of some kind. You got to call sin what it is. Okay, so if you have a problem, you have a challenge, keep digging, and sooner or later you'll arrive at you have sin in your life. Now you have this Messiah, this Jesus, who's literally named Jesus to do what? To save his people from their sins. So he did not come to get you into more sin, he's trying to help you get out of sin. Now you say, well, what's wrong with sin? Look in the mirror and answer the question. You say, well, but I'm not really sinning. I just have a struggle. Your struggle is the result of some sin. Go to the core of it because until you acknowledge that it is sin, you can't repent from anything but sin. Now, what you may not be aware of sometimes, you say, well, I got saved. I got rescued. And there's different ways to put this. Let's say you're lost at sea and you're in the water. Okay, your boat has sunk, you are in the water, lost at sea, and someone comes along and rescues you, saves you from the ocean, but they put you in a boat, and then they fly off and leave you. You have been saved from the ocean, but you are still lost at sea. I am interested in being saved from out of the ocean and from the ocean, I would like some dry ground, please. That's what I'm requesting, dry ground, right? So part of this thing is you say, well, I became a Christian, I got saved, I got rescued, so now I'm gonna die and go to heaven. There is so much more to offer than just that. It's a package deal that includes saving you, rescuing you from your sins. So you say, I got struggles, I got these problems, I got these things that are destroying my life. You didn't just get a ticket to heaven, you got the power to overcome whatever those issues are. 
And a lot of times nobody tells Christians that there's more, that it's a package deal, that it's, it's way more as though heaven, getting heaven and the assurance of that was not enough. He provides you life and life more abundantly, but you have to get in on that. He didn't just save you to sit. He gave you the power to move ahead, to move forward, to live the life that he intended. But you have to access that and let him do the work. John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 29. And the John is John the Baptist here, Jesus' cousin, by six months. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. Now, it's interesting, he says he was before me. John the Baptist is older than Jesus. How could he be before him? Because he's God. So the Lamb of God who takes away what? The sin of the world. I am more interested every day that I live of my sin being taken away. And I don't mean just the sins I've sinned being forgiven. I mean, I want this propensity, this pull, this necessity that my flesh says, we're going to live like we want to live the old man, instead of this new man, I'm interested in that being gone. You say, well, it'll never go away. But Jesus has the power to give me the power when that temptation comes, whatever that is, to say, you know what? We're not doing this anymore. You are not going to run my life anymore. I don't have to live this way, think this way, do any of this anymore. Now your flesh is going, wait a minute. Whoa, I don't agree with that. You know, I didn't ask you. Stop asking your flesh for its opinion. See what God says, tell your flesh that, and then your flesh goes, okay, that tr- you know, that, that's bigger than what I got. More powerful than me, so I guess we gotta go with that. Acts chapter three. Acts chapter three, let's start in verse 11. Now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them to the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently to us as though by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? Don't be looking at us. We got no power. The only power we got is Jesus, the real Jesus. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets, that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted. Why? That your sins may be blotted out. That's one part so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus Christ who was preached to you before whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all his prophets since the world began. Now, when you become a Christian, what happens? All of your sins are blotted out. This is how this works. You are now pure as the driven snow. 
your sins are wiped out, clean, complete, fresh start. Now people say, well, but I did all that stuff. But if someone has paid for all your stuff, all your sin, you're free to go. You are forgiven. You have a new start, a new life, a new heart, a new mind, complete new beginning, like being born a second time, which is what it is. So your sins may be blotted out. And then this phrase I love, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. You walk with Jesus long enough and it doesn't take long for this to kick in. Refreshment. And where does it come from? From the presence of the Lord. You say, well, where's the Lord present? When you become a Christian, he becomes present in you. It's way more than just a ticket to heaven. As cool as that is, as amazing as that is. Verse 22, for Moses truly said to the holy prophets since the world began, for Moses truly said to the fathers, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren, whom you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, God having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in what? In turning away every one of you from your iniquities. Now let me tell you how you know if your relationship with Jesus is working. He is turning you from your sins, from your iniquities. He is not turning you to them. Now there's some big debate about changing the prayer. And lead us not into temptation. Like we're going to need to rewrite scripture. Let me tell you how that works for me. You say, well, God can't be tempted and doesn't tempt anyone. So it doesn't sound right. Wake up every day and say this, Lord, I'm here. I know you live in me and I want you. I want your will. I want your way. I know exactly if I give this day over to myself and to the enemy, I know exactly the conversation we're going to have tonight. It's going to be me confessing the same old stupid sins I've been confessing my whole life in my little hamster wheel of sin. So I don't want to do this again today. So I am here. I already know what the enemy has mounted against me because he's been doing this forever. Same old fiery darts, same old sin, Unless he's come up with something new today, I know what today holds. So I'm telling you right now, you don't have to allow me to be in any situation where I get tempted so that then I get attacked and it causes me to run to you. I'm here now. So don't lead me. You don't have to get me in some tough situation that causes me to run to you. I'm running to you right now. I'm not running anywhere. I'm here. I slept here and I've got you in me. I want you to live through me. You're up. Then how does your day change? He doesn't have to allow these crazy things to happen that cause you to go, ah, oh, Jesus, you know, help me, help me, help me, and run back to him. Start with him. If every day you go outside, you get in your car, get on the bus, whatever you do, and you know the same thing happens every day, you know that you get to a certain corner, someone's waiting at the corner, and they're throwing rocks at your car, and you've replaced your windshield, you know, it's every day. And you wake up and you say, Lord, I'm going to get hit at that intersection again. He says, thank you for having the conversation with me. I would like you to go this way today. I never thought of that. I thought that was the only way. No, no. Thanks for asking. We're going this way. And you drive to work and go, there's nobody throwing rocks at me. What happened? You asked me which way to go. 
You say, but won't I still get attacked? But why the same old stuff every day for the rest of your life? It's almost like we've got some kind of sin quota. Oh my gosh, looky there, it's 10.30, I haven't done my sin yet. I'm an angry person, I need to get angry soon. I haven't lied yet today, I'm a liar, I need to be lying quick. You say, well that's silly, then why are we living these silly lives? Out of control, slaves of sin. Keep reading, where do we leave off here? 26. To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. So get in on that. I don't want to turn into, I want to be turned away. Now you say, well, how is that going to work? He knows what's coming today. He knows what the enemy's schemes are. Go to Romans chapter 6. Some of you will know this one by heart, but you're still getting your butts kicked. Romans 6. And I've known this one so long that I almost can't see it anymore. And God was really kind to me. I was like, Lord, help me see this like I've never seen it before. And I'm going to make a run at that for you. Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, what does that mean? Sin is work. And if you work, you expect wages. But when your work is sin, your wages are always death. Who would sign up for a job like this? Oh, we'd like to hire you to work in our sin mill. Oh, that sounds very exciting. Looks very exciting. Looks like I'm going to have a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, you're going to have fun. So what's my salary going to be? Death. You are going to experience death. Oh, yes, where do I sign? That sounds very appealing. So you wonder why you experience death of relationships, Literally, people, the wages of sin, for some people, they work so hard, they get to physically die. Sin is hard work. Forced labor, as it turns out, because you don't run your life. You say, well, I'm doing what I want to do. Really? Really? You're that stupid. You're doing that. That is what you signed your life up for. Oh, yeah, I'm in control. Then why is it so arduous? Why is it so exhausting? Why is it sapping the life out of you and it results in death of everything around you? What's the contrast? Wages of sin, death, gift of God, eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Eternal life is a gift. You say, well, I'm used to working for what I get. Sorry, Merry Christmas. Very hard for people, can't be that easy. Now, I've said this over and over and over again. You say, it can't be that easy that I just go, okay, God, I won't do anything. I'll just confess that I'm a sinner, repent, and accept your gift of eternal life and let you come live in me, through me, and it's all good, and just like that, it was a gift. Well, that was easy. Easy for who? Easy for you, easy for me. Who's it not so easy for? For him. Because this little gift that we don't value, that we think, oh, no big deal, easy? Before the foundation of the world, Jesus made a decision. The Father made a decision. The Holy Spirit, the three of them decided, we're going to do this anyway, but this is how it's going to go down. We will make a universe. We will make plants, animals. We'll create a man. We'll create a woman from that man. And we will give them every opportunity to have a perfect relationship with us in a perfect situation. But we will also give them a will and they will choose against us. But we will have a plan before they even are created to go in and rescue them. But the plan will cost us. 
but we want relationship with these people so bad, we already know what's gonna go down, but we will make a decision that Jesus will go in and save them and rescue them. And then we'll bring them back here with us and it'll all be okay. I knew I'd love my kids before they were ever conceived. I knew I'd love them before they were ever born. I knew they'd screw up before they were ever born. I knew they'd need love and example and mercy and grace and rescue. But we had them anyway. So God knows that all about us. So be careful devaluing the most expensive gift ever paid for and ever offered. When you hear of this Jesus and this gift and you realize that you cannot work for it and you have to humbly stand back and say, what is this thing? You can't be serious. Because if you're God and you are, you know me. You know everything I've done, everything I've thought, everything I'm going to do, and yet you're coming after me anyway. How could you reject or neglect so great a salvation? So you say, well, I got in on the gift of salvation from hell. I'll go to heaven. The gift keeps on giving if you'll let it. And what does God do? He lets you come to the end of yourself, even as a Christian. And you say, well, I'm just determined to make my way work no matter what. And God says, okay, I'll ride with you. It's not going to be fun. It's going to be painful because you're, now you're working and the wages are death. And then one day you wake up and go, you know, Lord, I'm tired. I'm tired of my life. I'm tired of my sin. I'm tired of me. I'm tired of my ways. And I'm thinking there's got to be a better way than this. I don't think you saved me to leave me like this. And then you start reading the scripture and find out he didn't. That there are times of refreshing in the presence of the Lord. Go to Jude chapter 1. There's only one, but they still call it 1. 17. But you, beloved, so written to Christians, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions not having the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. And then he closes with this. Now to him, look at this. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Richard will be back in a moment to wrap up today's talk. But first, I want to share a couple of thoughts with you. Let's be honest. Real life isn't about living some highlight reel for others to see. Most people have deep hurts, questions, and struggles. Well, we get it, and we want to help you in any way we can. So let's keep this conversation going. You can give us a call anytime at 855-6-RICHARD or connect with us at our website, richardellistalks.com. You can even put in your prayer request right there on the prayer wall. Call us at 855-6-RICHARD or online at richardellistalks.com. 
And now let's get back to Richard with a final word on today's show. This Jesus is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless. If you've ever walked with a little child on a treacherous path or terrain, then something instinctively happens. You realize they might be in a little danger of falling, and what do you do? You reach down and grab their little hand, and you walk with them. And they go to stumble, and what happens? You literally lift them off the ground and keep them from stumbling. And every once in a while, it gets so treacherous, you just reach down and pick them up, and you carry them because they can't make it on their own. Why are you living your life without Jesus when you've bet your eternity on him? Why wouldn't you give him your life? Not just your eternal life, your life. Jesus, sweet name in any language, powerful name, the only name, the only name. Thanks for tuning in today to Richard Ellis Talks. With the busy schedule everyone has these days, it means the world to us that you would take this time to listen. Let us know how it has touched your heart by calling us at 855-6-RICHARD. You can also connect with us at our website, richardellistalks.com. One last thing, Richard Ellis Talks is a daily program, but also has daily costs. And being a listener-supported program means we rely on the financial partnership of our listeners, which means you. Maybe you've given to this ministry before or have waited for the right time. Well, we believe that these talks with Richard are making a difference in your life. So this is how you can make a difference to ours. You can contribute by giving us a call at 855-6-RICHARD or at our website, richardellistalks.com. Thank you for your very generous gifts. It truly means so much to us. God bless and thanks for listening to Richard Ellis Talks.